Gospel of John, chapter 1, and um, I know that we've covered some of these verses previously, but there are some things that are very, very important um, that we uh, address before going any further in the Gospel of John, because uh, some of the topics will arise later. And it's better to uh, to cover them now and be prepared when we encounter some of these things later. And also, um, as you already know, uh, the Gospel of John, uh, as the other three Gospels also, um, they are actually in what we would call a transition time. Uh, the Old Testament ended with uh, with Malachi. However, uh, even from the words of Jesus, John the Baptist was the last of the Old Testament prophets. Even though we find him in the New Testament, he was the last of the Old Testament. And some of the things that's going on in the beginning of the Gospels are connected to the Old Testament more than they are connected to the church. And then as you progress through the Gospels and the life of Jesus and it gets closer to his his, uh, crucifixion, you're getting closer to the beginning of the church. And so this whole period of time Uh, basically from the birth of Jesus until the day of Pentecost uh, is a transition period. Um, Theologians, um, they want to use great big words and all, but I'll try to put it very plain and simple because this is important to understand that there are at least seven different ages in history as it pertains to scripture there was the age of innocence with uh, Adam and Eve there was the age that we call the uh, pre-diluvian meaning before the flood and then there was the age uh, after the flood there was the age of the patriarchs that's what we would call that And that led down to the time of Moses giving the law, and so we had the age of the law. And that continued all the way down to the coming of Jesus. And some people even put the time period when Jesus is here on earth as a separate age. Um, Though I like to think more of it like it's a transition period. And then we have the church age. And at the conclusion of the church age, which we believe will occur at the rapture of the church, that means everybody who believes in Jesus is going to be caught up and they're raptured. So the church is no longer on the earth. It's it's in heaven. And that begins, or it ends the church age. It begins the seven-year period that we know as the tribulation which 
Most people, again, they don't title that as an age because it's another one of these transition times that concludes with the second coming of Christ and, and also with the ushering in of the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth, which is the final age. And uh, when you, I know that's a whole bunch. Maybe you've never heard of this before. Maybe you're very familiar with it. But um, once you understand this, it clears up a whole lot of things in Scripture, such as um, what do we take and apply to ourselves knowing that we live in the church age? Do we take everything or do we only apply that which is promised for us do we only take that that uh, is given to us who are living in the church age the age of grace Um, and i would suggest that uh, there are a lot of things especially in the old testament that uh, we don't claim for ourselves We also don't claim a lot of the scripture that applies to the thousand-year reign of Christ, which is in the future. But we do claim everything that's for the church. And so some of the confusion with, uh, have you ever wondered why there's so many denominations? Uh, One of the core reasons is because they disagree over various aspects of the four Gospels, which is a transition period. Some say that uh, all healing is for now, all healing is for now. Others say no healing is for now. And we say, okay, which is it? Is healing for the present time? Was it for that transition time? Or is it for the church? Is it, it, will it occur in the millennial? What, what is it? Well, you have to look at a balanced view. They're, they're, obviously, Jesus is not walking upon the earth right now. He's at the right hand of God the Father. But he promised that he would send the Holy Spirit in his place. The Holy Spirit would come in us as believers, and he would be the paraclete that comes along beside of us. He would be the comforter. He would be our guide. That's brand new stuff for even the Gospels, because the Holy Spirit was there all right in those days, but different for the church. And if healing is done in the church age, it's done through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And and which makes it different from the healing that Jesus did. Jesus could just show up. Somebody asked him, hey, I got a daughter about five miles over here who's sick. And and if you'd come with me, you'd heal her. And he said, I'd just go home. And as soon as you get there, she'll she'll be healed. And I what? And I said, no, I'll just say the word, and it's done. You don't find that any other place um, in the Bible. Why? 
because that was a transition period when Jesus was on the earth. The apostles, uh, again, they're the end of this transition period. They were the ones who gave birth or through whom God gave birth to the church. And they could do some pretty miraculous things, just walk by and a shadow fall upon somebody and they get healed, you know, and um, they rose people from the dead and they, they did miraculous things. Why don't we see that as a normal thing in the church today? It's because, again, when you recognize these periods of time, that was a period of time when God was introducing the church to the world, calling out. That's what ecclesia means. Uh, it's the Greek word for church. It means the called out ones. And so um, you see certain things at the, at the birth of the church that you don't see during the remainder of the church. Uh, do we still see healings today? Yes. And and can God touch? We just prayed for healing for Justin. Can he touch Justin and miraculously heal him? Yes. But uh, it also has to serve God's purpose. And we have to remember that. And uh, God's purposes are so far above us and above our finding out. Uh, it's just, um, the, I'll, I'll put it like this. It's the same thing that J. Vernon McGee said. If, for those of you who know who he was, he was the original uh, on the radio, verse by verse through the Bible. You'd get on the old Bible bus and, and away you would go with that old southern draw talk. And, and um he said at the conclusion of his life that he said, I know more now than I ever have known about the Bible, about God and Jesus. But he said, what that lets me know, though, as I know more now than ever, there is so much more that I don't know. Because he said, when I first started being a preacher, he said, I was going to go out and change the world. I was going to, and he said, I just only knew this much. And in that, I thought, boy, I know everything. And he said, the more I learn, the more I realize I don't know. And um, I, I can't remember why I brought that up for, but we'll just consider that a, a, a free little bit of information. <laughs> Um, I want to go back to John chapter 1, verse 21, for some of the reasons that I have just explained, um, where these uh, fellows come and ask John the Baptist, What then, are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. Then they said to him, who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? And what do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Uh, he quoted there from Isaiah chapter 40. And now those who were sent 
were from the Pharisees, and they asked him, saying, uh, basically, well, if, if you're not the Christ, if you're not Elijah, you're not that prophet, then why do you baptize? Why, why, why are you... What are you doing this for? And he answered them, basically a straightforward answer, but I'm sure they did not understand it. He, he said, in verse 26, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who, coming after me, is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to lose. And uh, all of these things were done in Bethabara beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. So uh, this tells us several things. One, Jesus was standing in the crowd listening to John the Baptist who tells the crowd, I am here talking to you, speaking to you, preparing the way for the one that that you are really seeking after and and you talk about huge huge transition uh going on in the history of the world at that moment there's a huge change because later Jesus says John the Baptist was the last of the old testament And he did an act that transitioned to this transition period by baptizing Jesus. And as soon as Jesus came up out of the water, according to uh, his own uh, testimony, uh, in verse 32, John bore witness saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. And then he makes this confession. John the Baptist does. Verse 33, I did not know him. And when I read, I thought, wow, he's a a cousin to Jesus, six months older than him, or about that. And he had a lot of similar things. Angels visited both of their parents. And so there's a lot of stuff happening here. Uh, Angel was visiting folks in the temple and, you know, and things happening. And John says, even though he's been told, and we're not told how he was told. Um, We don't know how John the Baptist got his directions, his his marching orders. We don't know. Uh, we don't know if it was a vision, a dream, an angel came. We're not told. But he he knew very clear what he was supposed to do. And he said, and I did not know him. I didn't know Jesus. But previously, in that other verse... Somehow he knew he was present because he said, he's standing among you. Isn't that amazing what the Holy Spirit can do? But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, so 
uh, again, I don't know if this is an angel who was talking to John the Baptist or, or God or just what, but he who sent me uh, to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining. Uh, after carefully reading that, I come to the conclusion that it was it was not uncommon to see the Spirit descend upon someone when John was baptizing. I think that was something that could have occurred to other folks. But evidently, the Holy Spirit remaining on him was different because that was the sign that this is the Messiah, this is the Christ, this is Jesus. Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. And so uh, John is reaffirming uh, who Jesus is. This is the Son of God. I saw the Spirit descend. And, and again, how many of you, when somebody is baptized or they get born again, do you actually visibly see the Holy Spirit descend? and remain on that person. I've, I've been a part of some really magnificent baptisms on the West Coast, and uh, thousands of people come to be baptized in the ocean. And uh, been, I've baptized in Nebraska and Arizona and California and Texas, and uh, I have yet to see the Holy Spirit. Now, I know I know he comes. I know that he is part of that process. I know that he comes into a person's life. I've prayed with lots of people to receive Jesus, and I see them uh, full of emotion and crying with tears and and jumping for joy. You know, no two are alike. It's all. I have yet to see the Holy Spirit descend and much more remain. If God would open my spiritual eyes where I could see, I'm sure I could, but I hadn't had that privilege. That's another one of these transition things going on, and we can't apply that as the norm for the church. Uh, that was a unique thing. It, it happened to Jesus where he saw the Spirit descend and remain. And John says, I saw it. I have seen it. This is Jesus. Well, what about the question about uh, everybody in Israel uh, was looking for Elijah, and everyone was looking for that prophet. And uh, where do they get that idea? Where where would they even be looking? Sad to say, the uh, nation Israel as a whole, they may be people who believe in God, but they don't believe in Jesus. 
unless they have, like you and me, have accepted Jesus and been born again, they, they just they believe in God. But when we were in Israel, I was shocked to find out at how many of the Jewish people over there don't even believe in God. Uh, they, they really don't. They have been treated in such a way that they, they say, well, how can a loving God exist that allows the things to happen to us if we're his chosen people? So they, they use that line of reasoning and say God doesn't exist, which is real sad. But uh, those who do believe interestingly, are still looking for the prophet. They rejected Jesus. And we ask, well, where do they get the idea? And uh, you don't have to turn there, but uh, you can jot this down and read it for yourself sometime. Deuteronomy uh, chapter 18, beginning in verse 15. uh, And this is Moses speaking to the children of Israel. And he says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren, him you shall hear according to all you desired of the Lord your God in Horeb in the day of the assembly, saying, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, nor let me see this great fire any more, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, what they have spoken is good. I will raise, and he says it a second time, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren and will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command. And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words, which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. Well, that's Deuteronomy 18 verses 15, I will raise up a prophet. And I know we read that and we think, okay, this this is pretty wide open here. I don't know. But we are rescued by the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. Um, Acts chapter 3. And we uh, read in verse 12. And following the account here of um, the healing of a lame man, uh, Peter and John are there, and uh, or and Peter, he's the main main one, and he sees what the people are doing, and he uses the occasion to uh, speak to them, and he begins. Um, there in verse 12, but we'll just pick it up in verse 22, which is concerning this prophet. He, and, and, and I'll let you know, Peter is telling us that the prophet was Jesus. He says, For Moses truly said to the fathers, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear in all things, whatever he says to you. And it shall come to pass that every soul who will not hear the prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Yes, and all the prophets, from Samuel and those who followed, as many as have spoken, have also foretold these days. 
meaning the days in which Peter is speaking to the crowd on that day. And he said to them, You are sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So, so Peter addresses the crowd and who uh, are made up of mostly Jewish people. And he says, you're sons of the prophets. You're sons of the, of the law of Moses. You, you are the chosen people. You're the, of the seed of Abraham. And um, to you first, God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from your iniquities. So uh, Peter in this definitely says that that prophet spoken of in Deuteronomy is none other than Jesus Christ. We, we, I'm thankful that this is here because I couldn't have figured that out had I only had Deuteronomy. And so I don't fault the Jewish people entirely for missing Jesus because it was so indrilled into them of uh, what this prophet would do when he arrived. And Jesus didn't fit their mold exact. And so they rejected him. And Peter's just reminding them of their own scriptures and saying, this prophet, he's the, he's the one you rejected. He already came, you rejected him, and it's Jesus. So um, then, well, what about Elijah? And he's an interesting fellow. Um, for him, I want to turn to the last two verses in... Malachi, the last two verses in the Old Testament. And that would be found in Malachi chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. He says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Um, that great and dreadful day of the Lord would be a reference to the tribulation, the latter half of that tribulation. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. And so you read that and you think, okay, uh, Elijah is, is coming back. And to get an explanation on that, uh, we'll look at... Uh, a couple of different passages. The main one I want to look at is in Luke chapter 1, verse 11. Luke chapter 1, verse 11 and following. This is when the angel was announcing to uh, the father of John the Baptist that he and his wife are going to have a son. 
the verse 11, Luke 1, 11, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. He acquired the name Baptist because that's what he did, was baptizing John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. We just read that of Elijah in Malachi, how that when Elijah comes, he's going to turn people to the Lord. Verse 17, and he will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And I won't go into it, but there's uh, several other passages that we could turn to where John is described as, um, if you could receive it, uh, he came as Elijah. And uh, Jesus even said that. And uh, the idea is that he's not actual Elijah reincarnated. The Bible doesn't teach that at all. But he came in the spirit and power of Elijah. And um, if you've read in the book of Revelation how that there's two witnesses, most everyone will agree as that uh, they're on the, in the area of Jerusalem. They end up getting killed on the streets of Jerusalem. And uh, one of them, we believe for sure, is Elijah that the Lord brings back. Uh, is the other, there's several other ideas as to who the other guy is. He, is he John the Baptist? No, we, he may be, we don't know. I believe, more than likely, he is the Enoch of before the flood. And the reason I say that, Elijah was caught up with a fiery chariot and um, didn't actually die. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. He didn't actually die. But yet the scripture, in order that it might be fulfilled, says... It is appointed unto man once to die. That means every man has to die once. And so I look at that and I say, okay, Enoch and Elijah. Um, I don't really plan to be around in those days when they're here. So it doesn't really matter. But um, the point here in the Gospel of John is that John the Baptist and later Peter is pointing out to the Jewish people, the prophet that you have looked for came 
He stood in your midst and you crucified him. You killed him. You rejected him. I have seen him and I testify that he is the one. He's the one you were looking for, Jesus. And that's the testimony of John the Baptist. Um, Real quick, we're not going to read all of it. But beginning in verse 35 of uh, chapter 1 of John, uh, the next day John stood with his disciples. Uh, He points out, Behold, the Lamb of God. And these two disciples who heard John speak this, they left John and went to follow in Jesus. And uh, through the remainder of the chapter, and again, we won't read it all this morning, but I'll just summarize it with these words. Every one of them kept going and finding either a cousin or a brother or a friend and bringing them to Jesus. They'd go and they'd bring them to Jesus, and then they'd bring them to Jesus. And if you think back in your own life, how you came to know Jesus Christ. I can almost guarantee that you didn't just wake up in bed someday and say, oh, oh, just out of the blue, I'm going to go to church. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, somebody probably told you about Jesus somewhere, somewhere down the line. And if it's like in my case, there there were actually many and uh, they'd warned me, you know, you need, you need to change, change. And I, well, yeah, okay, yeah, what, what do you mean change? Well, uh, this is going to end up, you're going to end up in a very hot, uh, dry, uh, you're not going to be able to get a drink to quench your thirst, and it's going to be a hot place, and that's where you're going if you don't change. And, and you know, no one was perfect in their witness to me. But has there ever been a perfect witness unless it was John the Baptist? Um, my point is, these were some of the first recorded witnesses for Jesus. And they were constantly bringing people to him. And basically, when you want to know what your work is as a Christian, as a Christian soldier, what your number one thing to do is that people that are your friends, your family, your cousins, your brothers, your sisters, is introduce them to Jesus Christ. Go buy a Bible and give it to them and tell them. Uh, begin reading it. Read, don't, don't start in Genesis because you'll bog down about Leviticus. Uh, don't, don't go there, but start with the Gospel of John. Start with that and read about how that in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God and the Word is Jesus. 
began reading there. Give them a Bible. Invite them to come to church. Um, my grandmother was the first one who gave me a Bible. Uh, she didn't think I could understand the King James at that time, so she gave me a living Bible. She was probably right. I probably wouldn't have gotten all the these and thous and thine and all of that. And, and I just got caught up in the the story with the living Bible and and would read it. Uh, I gravitated toward my favorite chapters, and like we all do, but. But I started reading it, and um, there was a guy that uh, later became a uh, licensed minister to the gospel, but he had a huge influence on my life, and yet he never said a word until after I got to know him about, you need Jesus. Of course, I had just gotten saved at that time, but I knew nothing. And the thing that he did that spoke so loud to me is a group of us in the... Have you ever been to Kent, Texas? Most of you don't even know where that is. When I say it's a dot on the map, it, it is a small dot. There's a filling station, a mercantile store, a post office, and and a grocery store, and, and, and it's all in one building. That's how big the town is. There's about three or four houses there. That's it, filling station. And a huge ranch that I was working on at the time, way up almost to Van Horn, Texas. And... Um, We'd all pulled in there to refuel our vehicles, been branding that day, and and this guy was there to get his mail, and and we're all standing together out there, and, and as it is in those kind of circles, young men, the topic turned to not good stories, and one of them was telling a joke, and and so we're standing around and and. Like I said, I was a brand new Christian, and some of what they were saying, I felt kind of uneasy, but I was still, I wanted to hear the joke. I wanted to. And this fellow, he walked up, he heard for just a minute, and he just ducked his head and walked off. And I watched him, and I looked, I kept listening, I watched him. And he even turned around and just kind of, looked and then just kind of like he was saddened by what he heard and then just continued to walk off. A few days later, I saw him there again. He was a rancher that lived close by. Now, and I brought that up. I said, I want to know why you walked off. Why did, what? He said, well, because that didn't glorify my Lord Jesus. He said they were speaking things that weren't good. They were uh, against Jesus. They were against God. And I and I, I just I couldn't. I just walked off. Didn't say anything. And I just whoa. I mean, it just pierced my heart for several reasons. One was because. I didn't walk off. 
Of course, again, I'm very young at the time in the Lord. But I bring that up to say, you don't even have to say anything in a lot of places to be a good witness for Jesus. And what that man did that day, I'll never forget it the rest of my life. His witness exhibited in what he did. And so don't ever use the excuse that I'm not articulate enough, I can't speak good enough, or I get shaken. And, and, and I, I say that because I've done all those things. When I know I'm supposed to say something, I just clam up, you know, and can't... And, and I know you're sitting there this morning saying, you and clam up, that can't be in the same sentence. <laughs> but we all do it. Just if you're having trouble being a witness for the Lord, just ask the Lord to help you. Just say, Lord, help me. Uh, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to go about it. I want to reach this person. I want to tell them about Christ. I want to tell my daddy. I want to tell my mother. I don't know how many of you have been in that case before, that situation. That's a hard one. I want to tell my brother or my sister or my sister-in-law, my brother-in-law. I want to tell them. And for older folks, I want to tell my kids. And those are hard. But the Lord will help you. If uh, you just ask him, you have not because you ask not, the Bible says. And all you got to do is ask. Just say, Lord, help me. Shall we pray? Father, we do ask that you'd help us. These people were such good witnesses. That's all they did all the time. Everywhere they went, they brought people to Jesus. And John the Baptist was such a good witness. And we thank you for their example. And uh, we do ask, Father, that every one of them would receive, receive from you just extra crowns there in heaven. And Father, uh, help us to be good witnesses for you everywhere that we go. Um, because it's the right thing to do, and we know it, Father. Father, uh, I ask your blessing upon every person here this morning as they go forth from this place, and uh, the week ahead would uh, be filled with peace and love and joy for them, and that your presence be with them. Protect. Father, we need your protecting, protection in this uh, COVID-19 thing. We need your protection with uh, all the evil that's going on in the world, and so we look to you for that protection, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.